Today on Blue 58, we try something new by bringing an old friend back to the show. Let's dive right in. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdick. We're doing something a little bit different today. Gary and I have been talking behind the scenes a long time about how to get more content on our Patreon feed. We want to do some pe- some things for some people who are willing to support us financially. And this is kind of an example, a trial run of what that's going to be. Once a month, we're going to do a roundtable discussion about uh, the last month of, well, I guess, world uh, news and happenings in the world of the Green Bay Packers. And we're going to put that exclusively on our Patreon page. This is the first one, and we're going to give everyone in the feed a chance to listen to it uh, just to see how it goes. If you like it and you're a Patreon supporter, look forward to, to seeing some more of these on a monthly basis. If you like it and you're not, well, consider joining us on patreon.com slash thepowersweep. One dollar a month is going to get you access to everything that we do going forward. And if you don't like it at all, well, don't worry. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming next week. But for right now, we're just going to introduce the show as it'll appear on the Patreon page going forward. Give it a listen. And uh, like I said, if you're a supporter, look forward to more of these coming out in the future. I'll be back after our discussion. uh, And uh, yeah, enjoy. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to whatever this show is going to ultimately be called. I don't know if we'll have a name for this, but you know who I am. I'm your host, John Meerdink, joining you on the first ever Patreon-specific show for ThePowerSweep.com. We'd like to do this on a monthly basis to give you a little bit of something extra for your generous support to the things that we do here. And the goal of the show is basically going to be taking a month-by-month look at what's going on with the Packers. So we'll take a little bit longer look back at the last month in this particular episode because there is a lot to cover. We've got free agency, the offseason as a whole, the draft, even a new coach. So there's a lot of stuff to cover. And the good news is I don't have to do it myself because joining me here, as you will each and every month, here from here on, is Gary Zillavy. You may remember him from his work previously on Blue 58 and from his articles at thepowersweep.com. Gary, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? John, it's great to be here and it's a great day to be great. It is a great day to be great. And let's not beat around the bush any longer. Let's talk some Packers football. It's been a long offseason so far. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff still to come. But outside of the draft so far, and we'll get to that in a second, What has been your favorite move the Packers have made this offseason? For me, it's the offensive scheme change. I think the fun thing, uh, you know, I've been getting into Madden lately. They had a sale on Xbox, it was 10 bucks. And it's a terrible game this year, but I've been messing around with the playbooks. And after 13 years of Mike McCarthy, it's pretty exciting to mess around with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan's playbook and Madden and see the kind of things that they're doing. Uh, I, I think the Packers are really in a good position given their personnel on offense and given the uh, just the, the, the brain of Aaron Rodgers and the arm strength and the talent that he has. Um, I'm excited to see what he does in Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett's system. And it, you know, Sure, we could say the free agent stuff. We could say, you know, the the, the changeover in the in the coaching staff as a whole. But it, if I was going to hone in on one specific point, it'd be the offensive scheme. 
Well, if nothing else, it's going to look different, which is going to be fun. I've been seeing a lot of gifts and stuff from people on, on social media talking about some of the things that we could see pop up in the Packers offense. So I think I think you're definitely on to something there. Uh, what is it about this offense being different that you look forward to seeing? So I think that one of the items the Packers have gotten away from on offense in recent years has been the quick decision, quick read. Um, you know, uh, there was a concept that Bill Walsh had when he first established the West Coast offense that you, know, you really just had to focus on getting four yards and let the playmakers make the plays after that. And especially this past season, it felt like the Packers weren't content with getting four yards and that they wanted to get more each and every time. And that can work out great if you have superior players, but in the parity of the NFL, you don't always have that. I, I'm, I'm really excited to see an offense that goes ahead and takes what the defense gives you instead of trying to go out there and hit the big play you know, once every five plays. I think that'll be interesting to see, especially as Matt LaFleur has talked about scheming up some of those big plays rather than trying to force them. I think there's a difference between those two things. As far as what I think the most exciting move of the offseason has been, I really like the Adrian Amos signing. Uh, I know I've harped on pass rush, pass rush, pass rush for the past couple of years, and the Packers certainly have needed edge rushers. But getting a guy who is proven and reliable in the deepest part of the secondary just seems, I don't know, it, it just seems like a big relief. It, it seems like so long since the Packers have had somebody dependable on the back end. I think all the way back to 2009 and 2010 when they had Nick Collins back there and you just knew that he was going to get things taken care of on the back end. Now, or at least the past couple of years, things have been completely different along those lines. You, you really haven't know what's, known what's going to happened back there. Uh, I think back to the Washington game where they just got beat again and again going deep. Uh, man, I I just don't see that happening this year with uh, having more assignment sure guys back there. And Darnell Savage plays into that a little bit. But Adrian Amos is one of the most exciting parts of the offseason off for me. I, I like that, John. And I think what's really cool about that is not only are you getting Adrian Amos, uh, you know, a dependable player, but you're also taking him from your rival. And that's really the best part about the um, about the, the signing, in my opinion. We've known for, I guess, exactly a year that the Packers are going to make two first round picks, but we didn't know exactly where those were going to play out. The Saints pick ended up being 30th. Uh, but the Packers didn't sit there. They ended up taking Rashawn Gary at 12th and Darnell Savage at 21st, trading up with the Seahawks to make that selection. What do you think of those first two Packers draft picks? John, it's pretty cool to draft a guy whose last name is your first name. Uh, so if you're looking at um, a potential jersey buy for me in the near future, I think you've uh, you've got your, your guy right there. Uh, I like Rashawn Gary, if nothing else, because of his name. Now, pass rusher is a bit like a home run hitter in baseball. And, you know, in that sense, I mean, a guy gets 10, 15 sacks in a 500, 600 snaps of a football game, in a football season. You know, that guy's going to be a star. He's going to be a really dependable player. Heck, it got Nick Perry all the money in the world that he got for having a, you know, a 10, 15 sack season in that amount of snaps. For Rashawn Gary, I think the the evaluation on my end is, 
can he develop a second move? And that's really the question that all pass rushers have coming into the NFL. When you're in college, if you have a superior move, Rashawn Gary's is a bull rush where he's just gonna he's just gonna be stronger than you. He's gonna push you back. He's gonna move around you because he can get his pads lower than you. In that in that sense, can he develop something else where an NFL guy can handle that strength? Can he use his arms, use his, his hands to get around a guy? And uh, surely the Packers think that because you know he's a he's he's their you know thirteenth overall pick. Yeah, and I think if you're taking a guy that high at twelve, you really gotta think he's going to be a star player. If he can get fifteen sacks and five hundred snaps, like you mentioned, that would be the kind of production that you want from that that kind of pass rusher. I've kind of come around on Rashawn Gary. He was somebody I, I wanted the Packers to stay away from coming into the draft. I don't know if I've fully gotten there yet, but I, I think the good thing about it is you can see the thought process. You can see what the Packers like about him, and you can see what they were going for with the pick. Now, that doesn't mean it's a good pick, and we don't know, won't know for a while if it's a good pick, but I do like that there's at least a method there. What about Darnell Savage, the safety the Packers took 21st? So, John, I'm going to hit you with a little football knowledge on Darnell Savage. Uh, there's four things you're looking for out of your safety in a defense. Number one, they're going to line up close to the line of scrimmage, try to stop the run. Number two, they're going to blitz the quarterback. Number three, covering deep and being the only last line of defense. And number four, they're going to cover half the field with the other safety and help the cornerbacks cover either a, a top flight wide receiver, a guy like Julio Jones, or a receiver who's gotten past the coverage. And I think it's been a while since we've had a safety on the Packers who can do all four of those at a high level. Certainly the most recent, uh, you know, as he said earlier, Nick Collins, uh, maybe Darren Sharper at his peak for a year. Uh, but otherwise, Leroy Butler in the 90s would be the last uh, safety who did it over a sustained period of time. So it would be quite an asset to the Packers defense if Darnell Savage can do those four things and do them at a very high level for the Packers. Because the more of those four that you do, the less often you get to come off the field. And in Mike Pettin's defense, you know their their versatility and certainly Brian Gutekind's emphasis on versatility is what's going to make them, you know, a top defense in the NFL this year. Now, if there is a weakness about Savage, it's certainly his size. He's a smaller guy, um, you know, a bit more in the Earl Thomas mold from a height weight perspective. And that's going to hurt him defending the run game. So the first thing that, that we talked about a safety having to do. But of the four qualities, I think the the defending the run game one is the one where the Packers probably are the best uh, best prepared to handle a weakness at safety. I think certainly Adrian Amos uh, in the games that I've seen him play does that a little bit better. So all in all, I, I like what I've seen from Savage. It'll be exciting to get him on the field. And is there really a better football name than Savage for a back of a jersey? It's awesome. I I love it. Well, I mean, I think you had one earlier and Gary on the back of the Jersey, I wasn't going to say anything, but you're right. Yeah, it's a better fit for you for sure, uh, Gary. But Savage, I know that's that's pretty hard to beat. I'm interested to see if he goes with the full Savage Junior or not, because I don't think the Packers have had a, a nameplate quite like that. Although Gerhard De Beers last year was was pretty unique. 
Um, yeah, just I don't have a lot to add on what you said about Savage. I think that you're right on the, the money with the four things that a, a safety needs to do. And the Packers haven't really had a guy that can do all four of those things um, at a high level in a while. Um, even even Micah Hyde, uh, who has gone on to be an all-pro safety, was not the athlete that Darnell Savage was. And he didn't really get an opportunity to do a lot of safety things in Green Bay. And among the safeties that have really played that kind of deep safety role, which is what I think they're going to have Savage doing with Amos playing a little bit more of the box safety type role, they haven't had an athlete like this back there since since Nick Collins. I mean, haha, Clinton Dix was pitched as that center fielder type safety, but he was not a high-end speed explosiveness type guy. Uh, Morgan Burnett, uh, though he was more of the box safety type, didn't have that speed either. Uh, you know, even back to trying to replace uh, Nick Collins with Charlie Pepra. I mean, that is a, a classic example of a guy who got by on instincts and knowing where to be as opposed to just overwhelming athleticism. Uh, Savage is a, an entirely different player, and that's going to be fun to have in the back half of the defense. That's the first round. What's your favorite pick from rounds two through seven? So, uh, I'm going to stick uh, stick pretty to script here and say Elton Jenkins, the offensive lineman out of Mississippi State. It's a pretty easy pick here for me. Uh, it's a little cheating because he was the next uh, the next pick of the Packers after Savage and Gary. But regardless of where they took him in the draft, I think what is appealing about Jenkins is the connection Luke Getze, the Packers quarterback coach, has with. Uh, Jenkins. So Getze spent uh, the last two years in Mississippi State as the quarterback's coach and then offensive coordinator and um, was able to see Jenkins play at a variety of positions uh, on the offensive line in his tenure with the Bulldogs. I think that it's it's really a a testament to Jenkins as a player that his offensive coordinator from college goes to the pros and then you know advocates for him enough that you know the team that hires him brings brings Jenkins in along with him certainly uh you know the 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 coaching staff wants their guys uh so so seeing Jenkins come in makes it feel like the Packers probably more than any of their other draft picks have a pretty good idea of what they're getting in Elton Jenkins yeah, that's a really good observation and something that I've I've thought of a lot since Luke Getze or since he was the pick, that Luke Getze connection. I think that's really interesting. And I'm also kind of on a related note, interested to see what, what Getze brings to the quarterback's room in Green Bay. But that's a different conversation for another day. Are you at all concerned about the Packers moving Jenkins from center to guard? I think that uh, you know, when I when I was reading on uh, Jenkins over his career at Mississippi State, the one component that coaches and the the beat writers who covered the SEC and Mississippi State talked about was his versatility and his intelligence. And at the offensive line position, you know, it seemed like Mississippi State played him at center because that's where they needed him. And in and, you know, he was just the foot soldier that, you know, all right, that's where they're going to play me. He did play left tackle earlier in his career, um, which would fit the mold of, of the Packers taking those, you know, big offensive uh, tackles in college and moving them interior inside. I, I, 
I don't have a read on whether, you know, it's going to be a big concern to move him to guard. My gut feeling says it really won't be. And, you know, something that you mentioned, John, on an earlier podcast of Blue 58 was, you know, Corey Lindsley's time here is numbered. He's got a pretty high cap number. And the Packers have shown that, um, you know, in this Russ Ball, Brian Gutekunst era, they're not going to be afraid to move on from a veteran and not offer him a third contract. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I, I'm not saying the Packers are going to like move on from Corey Lindsley this year, but you know, it it certainly has to be a consideration. The cap number is is getting pretty big there, and he's getting towards that unfortunate number that I just passed here not too long ago, uh, age 30. Uh, so I guess you know, if my time in the NFL has come to an end at at 30 as well, I mean, it, it who knows what it means for Corey Lindsley? I mean, I certainly had less wear and tear on my body than he did and I didn't get offered another contract so it's if there is one position in the NFL where longevity can can be a thing for the offensive line it is center you know Jeff Saturday I mean the guy was a a cardboard cutout of himself in the year with the Packers but you know he was what 35 36 I think it is the end of his career maybe even older than that off the top of my head i think he might have been 37 but you it's a it's a good example i think you can get by you know they talk about moving from tackle to guard and getting put in the phone box you just don't have to operate in as much space i think center does have a component of that there um i'm going to switch to the offensive side of the or the defensive side of the ball for my guy that i like from rounds 2 through 7 um and versatility is the theme here too. Uh, Kingsley Kiki is uh, is the guy I like, the fifth rounder, uh, another SEC pick for the Packers. Uh, although Texas A and M, are they a real SEC school? Uh, I don't know if you you really you know if you want to split hairs. Yes, they are. They're not the 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 SEC legacy that some of these other schools are with the the relatively recently alignment there. But uh, you talk about versatility. He played all over the defensive line there. That fits with what the Packers have increasingly wanted from their defensive linemen. And what appeals to me about him is he's a guy who has added and lost weight, but the guy, the Packers aren't spending a high round pick on a guy who doesn't really have a defined role. So the Packers did a lot of that adding and dropping weight with Mike Neal and Dayton Jones throughout their stays in Green Bay, and it never really worked out. And that made it more frustrating because those guys were second and first round picks, respectively. Kiki is a, is a fifth round pick, uh, so there's a lot less pressure, I think, for him to really have to find a role and excel at a high level. He can just do whatever the Packers need him to do, and as long as he's on the field, it's a plus for them. The other thing that I like about him is that uh, he... he gives me a, a little bit of a scare every time that I have to say his name because in his NFL.com draft profile, the, they give the official pronunciation pronunciation as Kiki, but I've heard Kiki and Kiki elsewhere. And I'm just too afraid to learn what it really is at this point. So it, it's fun to have that moment of just like, am I looking like an idiot every time I say his name? See, that's where the football meathead culture is really great because you could just call him Big K. Yeah, there you go. Um, what up, K? Although you to wouldn't that point, call though, him. John, I I think that your your comment on on Kingsley, Mister Big K, is uh, is spot on. I do like his versatility, and and to 
to further the connection between the coaching staff, uh, let's not forget that Jerry Montgomery, the Packers defensive line coach, spent a hot minute, and I do mean a hot minute, with Texas A&M and on Jimbo Fisher's staff before coming to work back with the Packers under Mike Pettin. So he certainly knows Kingsley, at least prior to the draft, um, and, and would certainly have relationships with the Texas A&M coaching staff to get a, a, a good read on him as a, as a prospect. Yeah, and I know it gets a little bit you know in the weeds when you talk about guys outside the, the first, second round not being super strong, but is there a draft pick that doesn't seem like uh, that you just have a, a bad feeling about? You know, they're all lottery picks. You know, everybody, I, I think after the second round, maybe even the third round, you're just kind of taking a taking a flyer on a guy and seeing if he's going to turn into something. So I think in that sense, what I like about the Packers draft class this year is you're not necessarily counting on contributions uh, sitting here in, in mid-May from any draft pick, I would say, past Elton Jenkins, your, your 44th overall pick. I think the rest of them, they don't have high expectations, you know, organizationally to try to put, you know, 10, 15, 16 starts together in their rookie year. So from that point, I think you, you evaluate the, the draft picks on their expectations um, being so high that their output and what they're able to do as a rookie can't match it. And the easy target here for me is tight end Jay Sternberger, uh, again, out of Texas A&M. I think he's going to have a lot of pressure externally. Uh, you know, certainly the Packers have played the, um, the Band-Aid game with tight end at, in free agency with Jared Cook, with Martellus Bennett, with Jimmy Graham, with Lance Kendricks to a smaller degree, and Mercedes Lewis. And now you've got really your first true draft prospect uh, since, I'd say, DJ Williams, the Arkansas tight end, uh, and then Jermichael Finley before him. And uh, maybe God's Gifts, Andrew Corliss is in there as well. And I think that out of those four, you know, Sternberger, Corliss, Williams, and Finley, you know, Finley's kind of the biggest comp. Texas guy, you know, athletic freak. People kind of think he's a game changer, can can tilt the field. You see that, you know, uh, the the Joker tight end role is kind of something you'll see if you read the the profiles on Sternberger. And I just think that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy that uh, you know really needs to improve as a blocker. All the platitudes you hear about rookie tight ends. So it might be difficult for Packer fans and for for those of us out there to. You know, watch Sternberger probably contribute maybe as much as Robert Tanyan did this this past year. Um, and then further adding to that is that his position coach, Justin Outen, has never coached tight ends at the NFL level. Really, his only experience coaching tight ends would be at the high school level, um, which he also did in Texas. So I'd say Sternberger for me. I'm with you there on Sternberger, I, although I think it's for a, a little bit of a different reason. Um, if you look at... if. Well, if you look at the the draft as you know being three rounds long or four rounds long, everybody after round four or so being a real true lottery pick, you got to look at the first two or three rounds really critically. Really think about what you're getting from these guys. And I think for everybody but Sternberger, there's a pretty clearly defined role for them this year in Green Bay. 
Sternberger, though, is the guy who has to grow into a role a little bit. He's going to have to figure out, like you said, how to be a blocker at the NFL level. He has to figure out how to win uh, as a receiver when everybody who is as athletic as he is. And he's one of the, the Packers draft picks who isn't just a super duper athlete this year. He, he needs to he needs to develop more than anybody else. And so of the, the Packers draft picks this year, he is the guy that I have the most questions about just because he's the only one of the guys where you're really counting on impacts from your draft picks who doesn't really have the sort of skill set where you say, yeah, I can see it at the NFL level for sure right now. I mean, Rashawn Gary is a, a stellar enough athlete that he should be able to figure out. Darnell Savage has a clear role on the Packers. He's going to be pretty much their starting deep safety from from day one, you know, no matter what the depth chart says. Elton Jenkins just needs to kind of cause chaos on the offensive line, try to take somebody's job at one of the guard spots or uh, compete long-term at center. Sternberger, it's not really clear, and it's going to be a little bit of time before we really know what he is. Building off the draft, Building off free agency, building off everything that's happened so far this offseason, you kind of are left with, with one big question, and I'm interested to see your answer here. Do you think the Packers are better now than they were at the end of the 2018 season? Yes. And and here it's important to note better um, is, is, in my opinion, not maybe not necessarily record wise next season, but I think that the team, the quality of the players and the quality of the individuals on the coaching staff and in the front office is higher. I want to focus on two things uh, to answer this question to give you a little bit more context to why I'm saying yes. The first is something that Pat Kerwin, an NFL analyst who wrote the book uh, Take Your Eye Off the Ball, which is a great read, uh, talks about, which is the importance of rookie starts. So uh, consider that most NFL players don't make it past four years in the league, and you're going to make your biggest jump developmentally as a player between your rookie and your sophomore season. So that first and second year, that's going to be your biggest jump. So... You want to look at teams and see how many starts their rookies had the previous year to get an in, to get an idea of you know if they're good enough to get on the field and start as a rookie, then likely they're going to be able to make a jump as a second year player. To that end, the Packers really haven't had the the Packers had fifty three total starts by their rookies in two thousand eighteen, which is almost double what they had from rookies in twenty seventeen and triple what they had from rookies in twenty sixteen. So Brian Gudekinst has done a really good job of turning over the roster and bringing some some high-end young prospects who should be able to peak in their second year. You know, every every roster is going to have its ebbs and flows, so it's not like you always want to be number one in rookie starts every year, but it's a bit like a garden. You look at it and you see, oh, you know, I got looking at it in June, and you see some stuff starting to bloom, and you see some fruits that, yeah, you know, we might have a good crop of this or that. And that's that's I think I think that fifty three number is a really good sign for Packers fans. So I really like what you're thinking there. Uh, fifty three starts by rookies is a lot, and I think a lot of that is going to come late in the season for the Packers last year, where they were really churning the roster as the, as the the team really got beat up. But that kind of plays into one of the things that I think 
uh, is going to be different for the Packers in, in 2018. Uh, just getting healthy at some key spots. You know, Aaron Rodgers dealt with the, the knee injury all of last year that we've since learned is was probably more severe than I think we originally fully comprehended. Just getting him back to being relatively healthy is going to be a great thing for the Packers. I mean, the last 16 games that Aaron Rodgers played while fully healthy uh, from like middle of 2016 through when he broke his collarbone in 2017, that 16 game span or so was about as good production wise as his MVP season in 2011. He was that good during that stretch. If Rodgers can be like 85% of that, 80% of that heading into 2018, they'll be in great shape. The Packers also have a deeper defense now than they did at the end of 2018. And that just really helps a guy like Mike Pettin, who does a lot of different personnel groups and a lot of different roles for really specific players. That'll, that'll be a big benefit there. Um, adding pieces to that defense that was already making strides. And then just having a coaching staff that's better positioned to take advantage of the skill players that they have on offense, even though they didn't add a ton on offense. I think uh, adding a staff that is equipped to really take advantage of the guys that they have there is going to be a big boost heading into 2018. So John, to that point, you know, I think uh, uh, one of the big talking points I've, I've heard is the lack of new weapons for Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. And I think if there's a rightful criticism, it's that Sternberger is the only real addition to the Packers on offense that could make a contribution on the field. Is it a problem to you that the Packers don't have any first round or second round kind of high end talent that's, you know, I guess undeveloped? Well, this dovetails really nicely with the the last question that I wanted to, us to talk about today, uh, an area of concern that we still have with the Packers right now. And I think for me, that area of concern would be would be wide receiver. Now, I know they did add the the three rookies last year, and I know that they're going to get probably a better version of Jake Kumaro this year and a better version of Jamon Moore, but they really do need significant growth from that wide receiver group and really their pass catchers as a whole if you want to group tight ends in there. Um, just this week, Football Outsiders released their adjusted games lost formula uh, or calculations for 2018. You can look up the entire details of what that means, but basically it breaks down to, hey, this is where you lost the most games on your roster uh, due to injury. And the Packers were really hard hit at wide receiver last year. One of the hardest hit cores in the league was their receiver core, and that directly affected their offensive output. And they didn't get a lot of production from further down the depth chart. It was nice to get some stuff from Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Equinemius St. Brown over the balance of the season, but they didn't do anything that really buoyed the Packers beyond like a replacement level. They really need some solid growth from those guys this year. And if they don't grow, and I'm not saying they won't, but if they don't, the Packers are really up a creek here because they didn't add any veteran talent there. They didn't add any new talent in the draft. Um, that's a that's an area to watch. It's probably a, a relatively good problem to have among the, the universe of concerns you could have about a football team heading into a season, but it still is a concern for me. What about you? What's one area of concern you still have? 
I think the biggest concern, the, the my area of concern is is the number of challenges facing Matt Lafleur as a first year head coach for the Packers. Gone are the days in the NFL where a team could hire a head coach and give him three, four years to set up his scheme and to uh, to, to figure out what his team was going to look like. That is not going to be the case with Matt Lafleur. He's got to win, and he's got to win right now. However, I think. You know, you look at his biggest concerns with Aaron Rodgers and challenges is are you really can't change him. Aaron Rodgers is who he is right now, and he's had 13 years in an offensive scheme where really, you know, it's, it's different than what Lafleur is going to, you know, going to coach. Both of those are concerns that Mike McCarthy faced with Brett Favre when he came in in 2006. To the point of the first round skill position players. Really like what you said about the wide receivers. Uh, you know, the only first round position player, skill position player that McCarthy had when he inherited the Packers in 06 was Bubba Franks. And, uh, boy, what a skill position player Bubba Franks was in 2006 and beyond. Wow. I mean, among offensive linemen who caught passes, he was one of the better ones. So, you know, and I loved how he, how his yards per carry was about equal to the distance that he could fall down after he made a catch. Probably my top five. He was five very Bubba tall. You, you can say you can say that about Bubba Frank. <laughs> he sure was. Uh, so you know, to that point, your you, you know your biggest thing that that Lafleur's facing outside of that is he built a staff, especially on offense, that doesn't have a ton of NFL experience. I think Nathaniel Hackett has got to be his most veteran, uh, you know, assistant. And, uh, you know, certainly has had some experience in the NFL level as a coordinator. Uh, certainly not the case when McCarthy came in. You know, Jay Gazinski had, was his first offensive coordinator for the first year. He retained Campen. He retained Edgar Bennett, uh, the offensive line and wide, and running backs coach at the time. Um, and Joe Philbin hung around from the, the Sherman year to, over to McCarthy. So, uh, a little bit more presence on the offensive staff for McCarthy in his first year than what LaFleur will face. Uh, but interestingly enough, if you look back at McCarthy's first year, Jeff Jagodinsky and, um, James Campen changed to a zone blocking scheme in 2006, which coincidentally, the same thing Matt LaFleur is trying to do in 2019 with the Packers. So the challenges feel daunting for Matt LaFleur. However, they are things that the Packers underwent with Mike McCarthy. And we saw that within two years, they were a very bad Brett Favre interception away from going to the Super Bowl. And if there's anything that Aaron Rodgers doesn't do, it's throw bad interceptions. Only two this last year, and uh, I think we can count on him to not throw directly to a New York Giants defender. Should the Packers end up in the NFC Championship game two years from now? Imagine at if least David I don't... Football Gettleman puts together an NFC Championship <laughs> team. I I was just going to say I think we can at least count on it. Should the Packers get back there, they won't have to face the New York Giants. I don't think they're going to be there within two years. Let's but hope you never not. know. Well, Gary, I, I thank you for joining me, and I thank everybody for, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this uh, this first instance of our, well, Patreon show, I guess. And uh, if you appreciated it, tell some more people about it. 
Uh, tell them to support what we do here on thepowersweep.com and via Blue58, all of the different platforms on which we work. Uh, again, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. And we'll see you next month with another edition of this year's show. Bye for now. Hello again, host John Meerdink here. Hope you liked what you heard there. If you did, you can find more of it, again, on a monthly basis at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Really hope you'll consider supporting us, and uh, we'll look to do more things like this to really enhance the value of your contribution there. Uh, again, thank you, as always, for listening, for rating, reviewing, subscribing, all of those things. Each of them is the best way to support the show. It helps more people find the things that we do here on Blue 58, and it means a lot to us that you do so. If you do want to support us and get access to things like the show that you just heard, head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep, or buy one of our fine t-shirts or sweatshirts at teespring.com. Click the store link to get to the Power Sweep exclusive store on teespring.com. And if you just want to support us by making contact, you're free to do that as well. Reach out via Facebook, via Twitter, via email at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. As I always say, every bit of feedback you give us helps us further our mission of making everybody smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.